Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Sophia. And you're listening to Every Rom-Com, the podcast where we have fun taking romantic comedies seriously. Today in Every Rom-Com, we're headed off to a treasure hunt in Colombia. Checking out the great chemistry between Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas. Enjoying the magical first and last screenplay written by Diane Thomas. And talking about the film's actual locations in Mexico and some travel tips for its setting, Cartagena, Colombia, as we discuss my childhood favorite, Romancing the Stone. Hi, Sophia. Hi, Jen. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I had a little bit of a rough health thing for a few weeks, but we're back. And so that's great. And um, today we're going to be talking about a movie, as I mentioned in the intro, is a childhood favorite of mine. And um, I just wanted to really quickly set up why this movie is so special to me, if mm-hmm. if, if nobody minds. Absolutely not. <laughs> I want to hear it. So... Um, Romancing the Stone. I saw this movie. I've told the story about seeing this movie over the years because it's one of my most favorite memories with my mother. Um, my mother passed away when I was 20. And so you hang on to those, you know, great early memories. And I remember it was like a rainy day and we were like shopping for a raincoat for me and maybe for her too. And she looked up at the marquee in Lake Geneva in our little tiny town and she kind of sighed and she said, Oh, I'd really like to see that movie. And I'm like, Okay, mom, let, let's go to the movie. And she's like, But but it's a grown-up movie. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I want to see the grown-up movie. (laughs) And when I've told this story to people, I thought that I was like eight or nine at the time, right? But when we found out the release date for this movie, it turns out I must have been seven. And it was 1984. And I was probably in the first grade. And the movie was Romancing the Stone. And I loved this movie. Like, I think I would have loved it no matter what. But I think part of me also wanted to love it because my mom didn't think I would like it. (laughs) <laughs> but I just I, I loved the the action and some of the scenes we're going to talk about later. I'll tell you what some of my favorites were. I liked the humor so much, and I really loved the romance. And I had had little inklings of romantic feelings before. I was kind of an early bloomer when it came to romance. I had crushes like in the first grade, but mm-hmm. like this was the first movie where I kind of got a glimpse of what like adult romance might be like. So I think it kind of formed a picture for me that would kind of like last the rest of my life about this is what love looks like between a man and a woman, you know, for better, for better or for worse. Right. And I would just like, after we saw this movie, I would quote it all the time, like to my mom and like just use the lines from it all the time. And I just remember it being such a special day and like a bonding opportunity with my mother. And I think one of the reasons I started this podcast actually Um, is to appreciate this genre that I think she helped me appreciate when I was younger. Like my mom really loved literature, of course, and like Mm. high culture, but she loved romantic comedies too and like period pieces. And she introduced me to so many beautiful women-centered films. So Mm. like like this this podcast in some ways is for Candace Howell, my mother, and you know, and her memory. And Uh and this movie especially, like I just feel like I'd kind of want to dedicate to her in a way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, So, and then 
And so that's one of my first memories of seeing a movie in a theater too. Like I have this like vague memory of seeing like Empire Strikes Back and not understanding it when I was three, but liking it anyway. And another, (laughs) my mom told me that I made her like walk out of the black hole from Disney because I was crying too much. But other than that, this is really my first movie memory. And so I was wondering like, Sophia, like, what are some of your early movie memories or favorite memories? Yeah, I feel like I remember as a family going to see um, Basil of Baker Street, the great mouse detective. <laughs> um, and and it terrifying me. Like, it was scary. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Disney animation back in the 80s, uh, you know, was not um, afraid of scaring children. So I remember that. And I remember you know the first kind of adventure romantic film with my mom and i think my aunt diane came with um as well um was lady hawk do you remember lady hawk i didn't see it in the theater but i have seen it i don't think i actually saw it at the time it came out though so how was that Um, for you good i really liked it um and you know Young as well. Like, this is when I lived in Illinois before I moved to Lake Geneva. So it had to be something seven as well, you know, first grade, young. And I I loved romance as well as a young little girl. So I thought I thought it was great. Looking back now and having seen it as an adult, yes, I see so many problems with it as far as like, what the hell was that score? This like synthesized, like <laughs> totally 80s. Nothing wrong synth- with that. <laughs> For the period that it's supposed to be in, like, I don't, you know, what, what period? Like, not quite medieval but like it's totally inappropriate matthew broderick he's cute and whatnot but like has a terrible accent but i love (laughs) the love story and i love like the magic behind it and i i don't know if i want to you know put this out there but i think it should be remade i think Mm. it would kind of fit this like i don't know maybe games of throne kind of vibe i don't know just like sorcerers and you know magic and stuff like that um i think that that's that part was great and the love story part was great um but it need tweaking on the funny sidekick character and a different score but i remember lady hawk with my mom nice. yeah yeah did, did your mom like it too or yeah 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 cool nice Aww, so- fun first film <laughs> and probably wait did you you saw your first film probably in illinois you said then yeah yeah, yeah. And I was at the theater where we ended up both working eventually. That is so funny, Jen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Anyway, yeah. So before we get started with uh, Romancing the Stone today, we want to give you a few reminders. The first section of our show will be spoiler-free, and we'll give you a warning when we're about to discuss spoilers. We'd also like to let you know that you can follow the podcast on social media. Our Facebook page is Every Rom-Com Podcast and Blog. Our Instagram is at every rom-com and our Twitter handle is every rom-com pod. And as always, you can find the podcast at every Send us feedback at feedback at every And if you like what you hear, please rate and subscribe to us on Apple podcasts. So you never miss an episode. Now we're going to hear the very strange trailer for romancing the stone. Trust me. It's pretty weird. You miserable worm, you lied to me. You said she was a city girl, out of her element. Just get her in the map and bring them back. Piece of cake. 
piece of cake my butt. What went wrong? I'll tell you what went wrong. First of all, guess who else is here? You're dead right, Solo. What? Secondly, she's got herself a partner. Who likes shooting holes and everything. The minimum price for taking a stranded woman to a telephone was $400. $375 in traveler's checks? Not a deal. That's just the beginning of what's going on down here. There's nothing you can say that'll make me go back into that hellhole. Don't bring that up, Ira. Ira, stop it! <laughs> All right, I'll go back. But this time, you're coming with me. Okay, I need I need to go off on this trailer for a minute. Okay, just do let it. Me. Okay, so go. so um, this is an incredibly well written movie, but you hear almost none of the dialogue. This is incredibly good romance, but there's like nothing romantic in it. It has an amazing score. They don't use it. Like, I'm like, what is, they're just really leaning on Danny DeVito being funny. And by the way, at the end, when he says, you're going with me, he's beckoning at the audience. And then they're leaning on the action, which like, if you could see the trailer, you could see that there's a lot of great action sequences, but it's like, what is, (laughs) you know what I mean? What movie would you think you were going to be watching if you heard this trailer? You know what I mean? Right. I wonder if they were playing on like that Indiana Jones kind of thing Mm -hmm. and hoping to get, you know, not put it out there as a romance because, you Mm -hmm. know, women don't go to the movies. People only want to see action. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like that ridiculous marketing ploy or whatever. Yeah, because we know the studio didn't have like a ton of faith in this film. So, yeah. Right. Right. <sighs> but it's still frustrating because you can't find an updated trailer. Like I, I was hoping, well, maybe there'd be an updated one for like a DVD release or something, right? But nope, this is what you got. You got Danny DeVito <laughs> like, <laughs> having a conversation with his crime partner in the movie. So, yes. <laughs> so, Sophia, you wanna, do you have more to say about the trailer? Or would you like to introduce us to the movie? Um, I'll just dive right into the movie. Romancing the Stone opened on March 30th, 1984. Directed by Robert Zemeckis and written by Diane Thomas. Romancing the Stone was a surprise hit. Like we mentioned, the studio didn't have much faith in it. It ended up being one of the top 10 grossing films of 1984. And this was a heavy hitting film year. I mean, this is the year that Ghostbusters came out, The Karate Kid, Footloose, and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. The movie had a $10 million budget, but it ended up making over $115 million. Wow. It won a Golden Globe for Best Comedy Musical and Kathleen Turner for Best Actress in Comedy or Musical. And critics accused it of being derivative of Raiders of the Lost Ark, including I think Ebert accused it of that. But like, actually, the screenplay was written before that movie's release. I think it was in like 1979 it was written or even earlier, possibly. So it was kind of unfair to compare it to that. But it got kind of like accused of that, you know, like being, oh, it's kind of a knockoff. Although they did say it was a good knockoff. So I guess there's that. (laughs) Um, From AFI catalog um quote as noted in a may 13th 1984 la times article douglas had trouble casting a male lead for the character jack colton 
Actors who read for the script were displeased that the female role was central to the narrative and declined to play a secondary character, provoking Douglas to cast himself in the part, end quote. And and thank God that he was cast himself in the part because like some of the people they considered were like Sylvester Stallone and like, no, <laughs> I'm sorry. Totally no, totally no. He is not what I look to when I see romance. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. He loves Adrian, though, and Rocky, right? Like, I guess. But like, <laughs> when you want to watch a romance, you watch Rocky, though. <laughs> I don't know. And I guess, yeah. you know, Doug- Doug- Douglas wasn't necessarily thought of in that way either. But like, he just has right. like a, he has more of like a, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But it's more sensitive seeming, I guess, even if he's kind of playing a scoundrel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's, it was a very difficult shoot, Romancing the Stone. Um, it was kind of plagued by rain and mud, um, alligators and or crocodiles. So like uh, in the movie's credits, it says something about alligators. But then I've he- heard other people involved with the film referring to them as crocodiles. But there are one or the other or both in this movie. Um, so they, they wired these alligators' mouths shut to be able to film with them yeah but one of the alligators got loosed and its wire came off and so one of the trainers involved with the picture umberto gruza apparently almost lost a hand to an alligator as he was trying to recapture him but he was saved by his watch so lucky lucky man in some ways unlucky in others and Kathleen Turner also sustained kind of minor injuries on the the set, but, you know, my, not my, so minor that she didn't have to have some plastic surgery on her leg because it had been scraped so badly. So oh, it was wow. it was no joke. They were like and they encountered like sort of minor mudslides at times, too. So, yeah, pretty challenging. That sounds awful. Um, there is a sequel, Jewel of the Nile which we'll talk about later, but it didn't do as well. So plans for a third movie were scrapped. Yeah. I have a lot to say about that. Did you end up watching it by any chance, the sequel, or am I the only one? No, I think (laughs) you're the only one. I mean, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the basic premise of this movie, which you would never be able to figure out from its trailer. (laughs) So Joan Wilder is the main character played by Kathleen Turner. She's a successful romance novelist who lives in New York, and she's forced to go to Cartagena, Colombia to rescue her sister from kidnappers who want to get their hands on a treasure map that Joan has been mailed by her sister's husband. Um, Her sister's husband also happens to have been recently murdered. And another man, Zolo, he's apart from these kidnappers, he's more dangerous, and he's also after the same map. And once Joan gets to Columbia, he tricks her into taking a bus, which sends her into the middle of the jungle instead of to Cartagena. And that bus crashes and Zolo gets Joan alone and attempts to rob her at gunpoint. But his attempt is thwarted when Jack Colton, played by Michael Douglas, encounters them and has a gunfight with him. And in the meantime, his occupation is a bird catcher like he sells exotic birds and his whole livelihood has just been destroyed by the same bus crash and jack agrees to guide joan to cartagena in exchange for payment but they quickly run into danger and they gradually develop a mutual attraction so that's what we'll tell you for now there's a lot more to the story so sophia what do you think of this film like did you see it when it first came out or later or like i saw it later at some point and I guess I, I thought it was okay, but I it, what, it hasn't been one of the go-to 
films that I've watched over and over again. Um, So I watched it, you know, recently for the podcast and I really did enjoy it. There's a lot of scenes where I'm like, oh, that's so silly, but I totally love it. I do remember the opening and her um, and Joan writing her her story and that has stayed with me and I hmm. I really enjoyed that opening scene. Uh, my general opinion is that it's it's a good flick and I enjoy it. And so I think we kind of already know what my opinion of the movie is like in terms of like, well, at least when I was younger. So I loved it when I was younger and it was a go-to for me. I would watch it over the years, like probably at least once a year, you know. Um, I think mm-hmm. over the last few years, I haven't watched it as frequently because there's, I think partly because there's just so much content that's always new available all the time, right? I still love this movie, but I think a little less than I did when I was younger, and that's okay. Like, Mm -hmm. I I still think it's really solid. I would still totally recommend it to people who haven't seen it. Mm -hmm. Um, I always tell people who haven't seen a lot of 80s movies that it's one of the 80s movies you shouldn't miss, you know? Mm -hmm. I think it really is a hallmark of 80s storytelling style. Like, action and romance and comedy all together and just, like, told very tightly, you know, and very earnestly, not cynically. You know what I mean? It's just got that 80s feel to it that's so great without mm-hmm. too much of that, like, you know, synthesizer stuff. Although people might argue with me about how good Alan Silvestri's score really is. We'll talk about that in a bit. But yeah, anyway, I, I still love it and I still would totally recommend it, especially to people who haven't seen it. But but it's hard to like keep the same ardor for a movie that you had when you were seven years old or 14. So yeah. right. Yeah. So let's um let's we'll talk about the cast and crew and there's some very fascinating uh, cast and crew members on this film. Yeah, firstly the writer Diane Thomas. I love this bit of fact about her. She was working as a waitress while she was writing *Romancing the Stone*, and and I just get this picture of you know she had a dream and she was working her shifts and collecting her tips and but she was writing this story that makes me. Um, happy (laughs) um she was an unknown screenwriter but she sold romancing the stone for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to michael douglas and columbia pictures though it was eventually made by 20th century fox so you know i think she had been passing it around but douglas he bought it and i i love that he saw its potential and took a chance on it yeah, and he paid her a lot. Even like he he made yeah. a point of paying her a lot, even though she was a first time screenwriter. He was like, if the story's good, you know, we'll pay for yeah, it. Yeah, I love that. So she did some script doctoring uh, to the Jewel of the Nile, the sequel, but she was busy doing other projects at the time, and so it was written by two men, Mark Rosenthal and Lawrence Koner. Sadly and very tragically, she died at the age of thirty nine in a car accident in nineteen eighty five. Apparently, Michael Douglas had bought her the Porsche as a gift, um, and her boyfriend was driving it when they had um, an accident. So that's so sad. Um, At the time of her death, she was working on Always and a third Indiana Jones movie with a different plot line than The Last Crusade with Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Like, I wonder what her Indiana Jones movie would have been like, although I really love The Last Crusade. So, but yeah, it's really sad that she died without being able to, you know, write more scripts because yeah. she, this is such a good script. It's so tight and like the dialogue is so good and punchy. So the director, Robert Zemeckis, um, was known for his special effects ingenuity. And he is known as a writer, director, producer. 
Michael Douglas wanted him to to direct the movie based on his film Used Cars. Romancing the Stone was his first big hit after two major box office bombs. So he himself had a lot riding on this film. Mm-hmm. He was fired from Cocoon by the studio when they saw Romancing the Stone because they were sure it was going to fail. How about that? (laughs) Yeah. Um, But then later on, um, hello, he's known for the Back to the Future trilogy, also as a writer. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Forrest Gump, Contact, Castaway, Polar Express, also as the writer, A Christmas Carol, also the writer, Flight, Welcome to Marwin, also writer, and The Witches, also the writer. So, yeah, screw <laughs> you, cocoon. Um, <laughs> big, mis- big mistake. Huge. Thank you. And in production right now is Pinocchio, like live action Pinocchio starring Tom Hanks, whom he's worked with several times before. And um, The King starring Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, big talent. And it's his first big breakout of a a major director. And it could have been the first big breakout of a major writer had she not passed. So, yeah. Yeah. Here's to you, Diane Thomas. Yeah. Okay. Any more about Zemeckis or... I think he speaks for himself. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And so now on to some of the cast members. So first, Kathleen Turner plays Joan Wilder, the lead character. And she started acting on a soap opera called The Doctors in 1978-1979. She only had two movie credits before Romancing the Stone. So there was Body Heat, which is, of course, a famous movie also, which was a noir romance with William Hurt. And I I saw that movie once and I thought it was pretty good, but it wasn't something I needed to watch again. But she was, man, she was damn hot in that movie. And she didn't want to be typecast, though, as kind of the femme fatale or the hot lady. So she then went to work with Steve Martin on The Man with Two Brains, a comedy. I have not seen that one, though. And then so Romancing the Stone was her third film in 1984. And then she followed up with the sequel, The Jewel of the Nile, in 1985. And as we previously mentioned, she won a Golden Globe for Romancing the Stone. And then she's gone on to have a pretty good career. She's also been in Pritzi's Honor, which she also won a Golden Globe for. Peggy Sue Got Married, which she was nominated for Best Actress Oscar. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? She was the voice of Jessica Rabbit. And then um, she, Michael Douglas, and Danny DeVito all teamed up in 1989 for The War of the Roses, where um, Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner play a couple who are not happy with each other, and I think in the process of getting a divorce. Mm -hmm. And I also really like her in um, John Waters' Serial Mom, which is kind of a cool movie. In the 90s, she developed rheumatoid arthritis, and she also had a drinking problem related to trying to ease her pain from that disease. So she wasn't working quite as much, but she did continue to do some work and in smaller roles or lesser known shows and movies. And she's also done stage work. She had a Tony nominated performance in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, and she also appeared in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And then her co-star ended up being Michael Douglas, the producer, because as we said before, other actors didn't want to be second fiddle, which is ridiculous, in my opinion. (sighs) Yeah. We all know, I think most people know Michael Douglas is the son of the famous actor Kirk Douglas, and his mother is British actress Diana Dill. Michael Douglas did a bunch of small roles before getting his acting break, and it was in a TV show called The Streets of San Francisco from 72 to 76. And he was also doing work as a producer while he acted. So he was one of the producers of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and so he ended up with an Oscar for Best Picture for that. Mm -hmm. And he has 30 production credits in general. 
Just like Kathleen Turner, he reprised his role as Jack Colton for The Jewel of the Nile, but he is also known for many, many movies, which many of you have probably seen, Fatal Attraction, Wall Street, for which he won Best Actor Oscar and a Golden Globe, The War of the Roses, Basic Instinct, The Game, Wonder Boys, and he won a Golden Globe for playing Liberace in Behind the Candelabra recently, fairly recently. And he has done some other romantic and rom-com work too. So one thing a lot of people haven't seen is called Shining Through, which is kind of a World War II drama romance. Have you ever seen that one? No. It's pretty good with Melanie Griffith. I like that one. It's a little cheesy, but you know, it's a okay. romance. Uh-huh. Um, he was he been in The American President. He was um, kind of a, a bad influence in Ghosts of Girlfriends Past with Matthew McConaughey. And recently he was in um, And So It Goes with Diane Keaton, which I watched and I was not a big fan of, to be honest. But, <laughs> but yeah. And a lot of younger people will now know him from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He is in the Ant-Man movies as Dr. Hank Pym. And he's currently filming Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania, which I always look for. I, I know I talk about Marvel movies all the time, but like I get excited. I get pumped every time I see the title of a Marvel movie. So, <laughs> That's awesome. And and then, of course, he's also been in uh, other work, including The Kaminsky Method from 2018 to 2021, and he won a Golden Globe for that in 2019. And on that show, he brought in Danny DeVito and Kathleen Turner to play roles. And Kathleen Turner shows up as one of his um, ex-wives, and she's working in Columbia, so it's kind of a cheeky joke. Uh That's fantastic. Next, we have Danny DeVito as Ralph. So... It turns out Danny DeVito and Michael Douglas were roommates in New York, and um, they're clearly still great friends. And he was in Douglas's produced One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in 75, and his big break came in Taxi, playing Louis De Palma, and that ran from 1978 to 1983. And my husband loves Taxi, and we watch that a lot. Huh. So Danny DeVito reprised his role as Ralph in uh, The Jewel of the Nile. Again, as we've said, he was in The War of the Roses. He's also known for Throw Mama from the Train, which he also directed in 1987. Uh, Twins, I we watch that one all the time <laughs> with, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Batman Returns, he played the penguin brilliantly. He was so disgusting. It was yeah, great. so creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and Matilda in 1996, which I believe he directed as well. Um, it's Always Sunny in Philadelphia from 2006 to two, uh, 2021. And a lot of other work, 139 acting credits and 23 directing credits. Wow. He, and as a producer, he produced Reality Bites. Pulp Fiction, Get Shorty, Gattaca, Out of Sight, Man on the Moon, and Aaron Barakovich. Geesh. Wow. Yeah. Well done, Danny DeVito. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so a creator that I wasn't sure if I was going to put on at first, but I decided to because he is very important, is Alan Silvestri, who did the music for Romancing the Stone. And man, I, I know that the music for Romancing the Stone it's pretty kind of cheesy sounding and 80s sounding, but it is probably the best cheesy 80s sounding music that exists. <laughs> okay. It's a very memorable score in my opinion. Like I will find myself humming it from time to time. I realized I can hum the entire end credits if I want to. 
it's like ingrained in me. Wow. I don't know. Am I am I crazy? Do you like the score? Or did did you not find the score to be good? I didn't notice it at all. It was neither okay. here nor there for me. So it didn't stand out as like terribly like off putting. None of that. Like, and I don't remember it at all. So well, um, okay. I think okay. that that's okay when it's yeah. like that. Um, so one of the reasons I decided to include Alan Silvestri was because he is like a pretty significant um, composer, actually, of film music. So mm-hmm. Romancing the Stone was actually his big break. Before that, he'd only done some like TV work, like for Chips and Starsky and Hutch and some smaller movies. Um, but he's worked with Zemeckis a number of other times, including Back to the Future movies, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Forrest Gump, Castaway, and others. And he's also known for The Bodyguard, which I recommended on Now Streaming recently. Yeah. Practical Magic, Serendipity, and he's done work in the MCU also, Captain America, the first Avenger, the Avengers, Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, and he has 136 composer credits on IMDb. So he's he's a significant, you know, composer and it all came out of, you know, just like Zemeckis, it came out of this one wonderful hit movie. Wow. Yeah. Pretty wild, huh? Yeah. Okay, and then um, we're going to do some minor actors, too. Well, not minor, but just like uh, not as famous as Douglas Turner and DeVito. So (laughs) Alfonso Arau plays Juan. And Alfonso Arau is a Mexican actor and a director. He's born in 1932, still alive today. His first acting credit is in 1954. And he still appears to be working, in fact. So he had worked with Zemeckis on used cars in 1980. But he'd also done a lot of other work, a lot of it in Spanish language work. And a lot of people might recognize him as El Guapo in Three Amigos, which he did in 1986. Um, He is more than famous. And he recently also did voice work as Papa Julio in Coco in 2017. And he's also a director. I was so glad that I checked, you know, his other, you know, jobs because he directed, among other things, like Water for Chocolate and A Walk in the Clouds. And, um, or 13 directing credits total, and he has eight writing credits. Wow. So he is pretty awesome. Pretty I love awesome. like water for chocolate. Yeah. 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 And I've seen a walk in the clouds. Yeah. I have mixed feelings about that one, but it doesn't matter. Like, whoa. Nice. Yeah. And we don't, we haven't probably, I don't think, I haven't seen as far as I know his Spanish language work. So maybe he's doing even better work, you know, in his native mm-hmm. language. I don't know. So Manuel Ojeda plays Zolo. Um, he's a very prolific Mexican actor, 266 acting credits. He's appeared in many telenovelas in addition to film roles, and he's still acting today. Oddly, um, there was another American film called Green Ice, which was also m- had a major plot line uh, involving an emerald. So <laughs> he's being typecast as films with emeralds in them. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and I was trying to look into him more and find out if he's usually a villain or not. And I did find Mm -hmm. some evidence of that. Like he's been awarded Best Villain Awards for different things. Okay, But maybe he's played other roles too. Like there wasn't a lot of English language biographical information available about this man. But he must, he's apparently very famous in Mexico. Next we have Holland Taylor. She plays Gloria, um, who is Joan's, well, publisher slash editor. and friend. friend. Yeah. <laughs> and friend. Um, she was born in 1943. Her first acting credit was in 1967 at 24 years old. And she has 121 acting credits to her name. She reprises her role briefly as Gloria in the Jew- Jewel of the Nile. 
And she's definitely done a lot of supporting roles in many rom-coms. She's in Legally Blonde, The Wedding Date, To All the Boys, P.S. I Still Love You, Keeping the Faith, She's Having a Baby. And in 2020, she appeared in Hollywood on Netflix. Bill and Ted Face the Music and The Stand-In. So I've only seen one of those. I saw Hollywood, which was really good, I thought, or at least fun, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I haven't seen the others yet. Have you seen any of those? No. No, I want to see Bill and Ted, though. Yeah, I will eventually. Yeah, when I have time to rewatch Bogus Journey. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Funny. So um, another character in the film is Joan's sister, um, Elaine, and she is played by Mary Ellen Trainer. And, like, I ran into this information almost by accident. I found out that she is actually was married to Robert Zemeckis at the time Romancing the Stone was made. So they were married from 1980 to 2000 and had a son, Alexander. And Romancing the Stone was her first movie. But she is an able actor. She also had small roles in some other Zemeckis films, including Back to the Future 2, Death Becomes Her, and Forrest Gump. And she played Mrs. Walsh in The Goonies, which I was like, oh, hey, that's where I recognized her from. And um, she has continued to work through 2007, but sadly, she died of cancer in 2015. Yeah, she had a total of 47 acting credits. So she wasn't very prolific, but she like certainly appeared in some great films over the years. Okay, and then Zach Norman plays Ira, who is Ralph's cousin and the boss of this whole, like, kidnapping, trying to get the map thing back. Mm-hmm. Um, he initially uh, seems like his credits are very few, and he didn't reprise his role in The Jewel of the Nile. He's got about 39 acting credits to his name. Um, but according to Wikipedia, um, he also goes by... Howard Zucker and produces finance or and finances movies under that name, including hearts and minds in 1974, which won an Academy award for best documentary and many other movies. However, um, we can't seem to find any info under Howard Zucker page in, on IMDb. So it's a mystery. Yeah. That's very interesting. I actually watched hearts and minds in college. It's a very good uh, Vietnam documentary. So yeah. Okay. But yeah, even oh. if you look on the Hearts and Minds page on IMDb, I can't actually find his information. So I, I think Wikipedia says the information came from a book. But um, yeah, short of reading that book to verify, I don't know. So now um, we're going to talk about a number of things all lumped together as we've been wont to do on the travel series. We're going to talk about the different scenes in the movie. And we'll tell you when we get to a spoiler section, we won't spoil the whole plot. And we'll also give you some of the locations and fun facts in our commentary. So let's begin the movie. So this movie opens very strangely. Like, I think when I first saw it in the theater, my mom and I, like, well, I wasn't expecting much. But, like, I certainly wasn't expecting this, like, Western scene with, like, this woman in this, like, skimpy dress. And, like, you can kind of see her breast through it. And there's Mm -hmm. a weird cowboy guy holding her up at gunpoint. And, like, I was like, this isn't the actors on the poster. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it was kind of, it was quite, it was kind of shocking. It's a very interesting way to open a movie. And you soon find out that you are in a romance novel plot that is being narrated by Kathleen Turner. And in this romance novel story, which does have echoes later in the movie, a character named Grogan has come to steal money and presumably kill or rape Angelina, the the female character. And she successfully evades his attack by throwing a knife at him and killing him. 
And it has this great line. This is so <laughs> cheesy. So it goes, that was the end of Grogan, the man who killed my father, raped and murdered my sister, burned my ranch, shot my dog, and stole my Bible. <laughs> That was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember my mom laughing at that and the theater people laughing. Like people were laughing so hard at that. (laughs) Fantastic. And stole my Bible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then this like music comes up, which Ellen Silvestri did not do. I recently found out that the music in that scene is from Once Upon a Time in the West, which is this old 1950s movie, like about Mm -hmm. this like mythological, like, you know, how white people you know conquered the west oh my god like they have like a spoiler warning or like no they have like a problematic warning on in top of gone with the wind but they didn't put one on top of this movie and if they're gonna do it they should do it for once upon a time in the west but i i was so excited though to hear that music and i was like oh my god that's where the romance in the stone music came from (laughs) i was nerding out anyway sorry no i love that and so with this swelling music, Angelina rides off on a horse, maybe Grogan's horse, I don't know. And uh, Grogan's brothers have shown up to like menace her. But then Jesse, uh, this shadowy character in a cowboy hat, appears on the hillside and he shoots Grogan's brothers very quickly. And he rides down to Angelina and they have this like perfect reunion. And like Kathleen Turner is narrating, my heart leapt as I watched him ride near. I could barely wait to feel the warmth of his touch. At the moment that his lips met mine, I knew that we would never again be apart. I knew then that we would spend the rest of our lives together. Forever. (laughs) (laughs) It's so extra. It's so over the top. And before we talk about the transition to the next scene in romance novels in general, I just want to note that this scene was apparently filmed in St. George, Utah. So done my due diligence there. So Sophia, have you read any of these like Western style romance novels? I can't say that I have. Or does this remind you of any romance novels you have read or... I mean, um, sort of. You know, there's a history and a journey of romance novels. Like in 84, I would say that this is what they sound like. Um, Now in the, you know, 2000s, there's definitely a different tone and a different vibe. Um, And yet still following, you know, those some of those tropes um, of like alpha male. I've definitely I've read some that have like kind of a cowboy theme, Mm -hmm. um, but nothing to this degree. This is fantastic. (laughs) This is old school. And um, we couldn't have what we have now without this as a foundation. Yeah. (laughs) It's like a country song, right? You know, Mm. you know, he burned my ranch, shot my dog and stole my Bible. Oh man. That's so funny. And then um, do you want to talk about this transition? Because this transition is fantastic. Like as she's like finishing this narration, we go to the next scene that you like were fond I, of. I do. I love this scene and I've remembered it forever. Where We find her at her desk sobbing and just elated at the end of this story that she's written. And she just loves it. And she she's kind of a mess. I think she's still in her nightgown. Her hair's back in a messy pony. She's wearing these headphones, which are fantastic and huge. And, um, you know, she gets up to, you know, get something to drink. And there are no more like tissues or paper towel in her house because she's just been too busy working and she has they're not post-it notes but they're little pieces of paper taped up all over the place i'm like was were there no post-its back then i don't remember um like buy more tissues and 
things like that, which I think are just a great little classic writery artist person who's been mm-hmm. so in their zone that they yeah. haven't had time to get more Kleenex. Um, Can I talk about the ahead. cat? Do it. Do it. <laughs> so here we have a rom-com cat. I freaking love rom-com cats. So like initially she says, um, I finished ready to celebrate sweetheart. And you think, oh, maybe she's got a significant other. But no, it's her cat. <laughs> the cat comes in the door. And it's such a cool reveal that she's she's alone with her cat. And her cat's named Romeo. And it's this cute little white cat with like orange like markings on it and and it, I love the way the cat's portrayed in the movie. I might talk about that more later. And she gives her cat like this like fancy <laughs> feast or whatever with like a sprig of parsley on it. And, and she, she has no food in her fridge, but a sprig of parsley. <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice that. I didn't yeah, notice that hardly part. any food. There's like bottles of something in there. I don't even know what, but no food. Oh, my cat came in here while I was talking about the cat. How funny is that? Okay. And, um, <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, she's toasting. She's toasting her cat, and then she toasts uh, Jesse on a book cover. She says, "Here's looking at you, Jesse, whoever you are." And then she randomly throws dishes into her very small fireplace. I don't know why. I love that. I mean that that I mean Greeks do that at weddings and christenings and parties and whatever. You okay, break the okay. dishes, man, and you're just like, "Oppa!" It's I don't know a, a thing of celebration. <laughs> Breaking dishes. So when she throws them into this fireplace it's um i was like yes that's right <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i love it i love that whole scene i think it's yeah, just me too spot on and and i love wonderful. the transition i love the transition between the western yeah. scene and that scene and how you see like this romantic glamorous vision that she's creating for other people while she's sitting there in the flannel nightgown it's just mm-hmm. so great because it's yeah. really a good commentary on the on the contrast between real life and romance mm-hmm. without, without, without having to hit you over the head with that, but it's right there in your face already. Right. Right. So like, also I wanted to say that when I saw this movie, it had a huge effect on me in that I wanted to be a writer in part yeah. because of this movie. And like, I think this scene had something to do with it, but certainly later scenes too. But like, yeah, I really admired her. It didn't seem sad that she's hanging out with her cat to me. It seemed great. So I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think it was sad either. Um, yeah. But it might but sound guess- sad to somebody if you said, oh, she's yeah. a lonely person with her cat. But no, she's she seems like she's happy and like fulfilled in her work. Yeah. I mean, I think all of the setup of like not having Kleenex and no food in the fridge is just showing what a, a you know, someone who's working from home looks like when they're <laughs> working. And, yeah. you know, um, anyway. So then um, the next scene, we we just see this mysterious black-gloved, black-hatted, brown-coated guy who later turns out to be Zolo, and he's at a payphone. 1980s, yay! <laughs> and he calls Joan, but then hangs up when she answers the phone. And I want to say shout-out to landlines, because, like, you couldn't even have that Platt device anymore. Like, now, like, like how's the bad guy going to know whether you're home or not? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that that (laughs) i guess he could like stalk you i guess he could stalk you on facebook or instagram if you're big on doing check-ins but yeah (laughs) there you go yeah so joan rushes off to meet gloria her publisher slash editor i think those are two different jobs i don't know why she's and i think (laughs) they're both very big jobs like no one person should do both (laughs) gloria is a very accomplished woman sophia yeah okay there you go um (laughs) 
So Joan rushes up to meet Gloria, her publisher slash editor, and her neighbor, Mrs. Irwin, gives her a large envelope from her brother-in-law, Eduardo, in Colombia. Yeah. We don't know what it is yet. We don't know what it is. There's a salesman who sells stuffed monkeys um, outside, you know, on her block, just selling these you know, one of those street vendors. And he's like, come on, buy a, buy a stuffed monkey. It's great. Um, while <laughs> she's like, no, thanks. Does, does this happen in New York anymore? Is it, did it ever happen? Do you know, like, were they just random stuffed monkey salesmen or? I have never seen a stuffed monkey, okay. uh, <laughs> vendor. I, I do see street vendors, okay. um, you know, selling stuff, but and nobody, a ca- nobody's like up in your face. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think they would get punched if that were, I wonder if it was different uh, in the 80s, though, like, because it just seems yeah. like yeah, it's trying to be authentic in some way, but it's odd. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as But Zolo is watching her and enters her building and he kills the superintendent, right? Yeah, just oh. like that. There's a death right there terrible but it's but it's great plotting because like already you know that this guy is fucking seriously dangerous and like right away yeah you already have like a oh oh what am i gonna what's going on here okay and then i love i love this next scene and it's also super weird when she meets gloria she delivers the manuscript and then gloria is trying to get her to like be interested in men they're at this bar and she like you see this series of men and i want to deliver um gloria's little monologue here if you don't mind so this is her assessment of the men wimp wimp loser loser major loser too angry too vague too desperate god too happy Ooh, look at this guy, Mr. Mondo Dismo. I actually used to date him. Total sleaze bucket. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold everything. Get a load of this character. What about him? Oh, do you want to do Joan's part? Sure. No, he's just not. Who? Jesse? Maybe it's silly, but I know that there is somebody out there for me. Yeah. And I think she's like, where? And she's like, certainly not here. I love that scene, even though like the guys that like Gloria even likes is just so. So there was one guy that she likes and I'm like, he looks exactly like the sleaze bucket guy to me. (laughs) (laughs) And they're all pretty bad. I don't know. I think I think I would have gone with one of the losers, actually. One of the two losers, not the (laughs) major loser. But yeah. And did you did you evaluate these guys at all? Or just- I didn't. I was I kind of felt bad about this scene. I'm like, why you're just you're just judging these people? What are you doing? You know, but that's what people do on the internet now. They just go on I Tinder know. and they're like left, right, left, right. <laughs> well, isn't that what Facebook originally was? I don't that's know. Facebook- oh, the whole like yeah, on the like, social network movie rating story. Yeah. people's yeah. 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 So yeah, bad. It's a human, you know. Yeah. I know I we do it. I haven't done it a ton. Like I'm more like apt to be like, Oh, look at that. He's pretty hot or something. I'm more like to do that than to be like, Oh no. (laughs) Right. Right. But I think it's very human. I thought it was funny. It's yes, of course. And then we got an exposition dump in this scene too, but it doesn't feel like an exposition exposition dump. I only noticed it when I was really evaluating it for the podcast. Um, Joan Mm. like gives Gloria the manuscript and then Gloria, very naturally, because they're friends, asks about how her sister is doing because her sister Elaine 
Uh, her husband has recently been murdered. Her husband, Eduardo, has been murdered. And then Joan's like, I just got this strange package from Eduardo in the mail. <laughs> and apparently he hasn't just been murdered, but like his body had been like dismembered. So yeah. like, you're like, so you just saw the one guy murder the superintendent. And now you find out the husband's murdered and you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And then we cut to Elaine leaving her house in a hurry and she gets knocked unconscious and kidnapped by a kid playing in the street who brings her to the kidnappers, Ralph and Ira. The way that they're this, where they're sitting, this platform thing that has a grate that looks down into these crocodile alligator things. And one of them says, look at these snappers, will you? It's Ira. <laughs> and I used to quote that all the time. I thought it was the funniest thing. When you're a kid, that's the funniest line. You're like, look at those snappers, will you? <laughs> That's hilarious. Just like there'd be no reason to say it. I would just say it because that's what kids do. Oh, that is funny. Yes. And, right. and, and so we've got this movie now where we've we've set up that there's like two different villain segments. There's the Zolo mm. guy with his like mm. knife and killing the superintendent. And then there's these clowns. Basically, they're the they're the comic relief villains. They are. Oh, funny. So after Elaine gets kidnapped and brought to Ira and Ralph, Joan returns home to find her house completely trashed um mm -hmm. it's an audiences know that it's solo she doesn't know obviously but um oh you get a uh, one of those she's creeping through her apartment just stunned and then and then the cat pounces out and it scares the <laughs> crap out of you and you're just um yeah, and then you get a landline scare directly after that like oh, with the yeah, phone yeah. rings and like and I remember that when you're when you were young, right? Do you remember yeah. it being young and like scared of something at night and then the phone rings and you're like ah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was like a thing. Yes. <laughs> That's funny. Um and the call is from Elaine, her sister, who is, you know, obviously in trouble and she's asking Joan to bring the map to her in Colombia. Yeah. Oh. And then we don't waste a lot of time dilly-dallying. And clearly nope. she didn't have much time to pack, as we'll find out later in the movie. <laughs> so, yeah. Because uh, she, the next scene is like her, like, ready to leave for Columbia. She's got Romeo in a little case, handing him off to Gloria. I love that they deal with who is cat sitting in this movie. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and Gloria's trying to talk her out of it, basically helping to establish Joan's character by being like, hey, you get bus sick, train sick, plane sick. You practically puke riding on the elevator at Bloomingdale's. She's, yeah. she's basically showing you, you are not prepared for, you know, this trip. And it's a great way of doing that. I just love this economy of plotting. And I love Gloria as the best friend character. I think she's such a good best friend and colleague to Joan. Yeah, she really is. Um, but Joan goes, she does it. She's got to save her sister. So yeah. there's a plane flight and then we land at a completely chaotic airport, complete with pigs. So Ralph is waiting for her at the airport and he's trying to find her. And actually he's holding her book, one of her romance novels, because there are pictures oh, on the back. Yeah. And Joan is trying to use her phrase book to get on the right bus. Um, and Zolo is there and he intercepts and he lies to her about which bus to take. And mm -hmm. she gets on the wrong bus and Ralph sees her going on the wrong bus, but it's too late. And so yeah. instead of going to a nice little town, she arrives in the jungle. Yeah. And like this scene, oh my God, this scene begins Ralph's like uh, parade of bad language speaking. <laughs> Cause he's like, he's like the Ario Aribo, a key. And I'm like, what? I mean, a key is like sort of Spanish, but 
Yeah. No, sorry. Not working. And at least Joan was actually speaking pretty creditable. She was pretty doing pretty well with her phrase book. But then, like, I don't know. When you're in a foreign country, just, like, beware of people sometimes, you know? Like, she's just, the minute a person speaks English to her, she's like, oh, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, trust your instincts, too. And, like, you know, trust yourself to use your phrase book and talk to the bus driver. That's all I'm saying. I appreciate that is a very good lesson, a very good point. And thank you. You're right. (laughs) Yeah. As as Sophia said, we're now, we now find uh, the bus is in the jungle and Kathleen Turner, Joan is asleep. And Helen Silvestri's music transition here is so good. I thought, I don't know. I loved it. Okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) And just to show that you're really in the jungle, they, they show an obligatory monkey. And then I really want to talk about, okay, Joan causes this bus crash, okay? Like, this bus would not have crashed except for her because she wakes up and she, like, needs to know, like, where they're they're going. She's, Mm -hmm. like, saying, excuse me, excuse me to the bus driver. And he's, like, looking back at her and she's, like... Is it when is the bus getting to Cartagena? Is this the bus to Cartagena? And then she's like, I need to get to Cartagena. Ah! (laughs) And that's when the bus crashes into, uh, we later find out, Jack's truck. And, And okay, so that's like one thing. She causes this bus crash. The other thing is, what was Zolo's plan? Okay. Like, because the bus crash was um, a convenient way for her to get him get her, a convenient way for him to get her alone. But like, what if they'd actually arrived at the place they were going? What was his plan? Like, was it like just that his stronghold was there or something? Like, I don't know. Like, what do you have any theories on this? I mean, let, yeah, thinking this through, through. So they wind up in some smaller town in the jungle. Like these people obviously live around here. Right. And and she's completely alone. And then he holds a gun to her. Yeah, good point. Um, I just, I just don't know, like, what his plan was all along. You know, why didn't uh-oh. he just like knife her at the airport? Like, he doesn't seem to care about knifing people, right? Right. Would anybody have cared there? Right. I don't know. Like, would anyone have noticed? Is more like because they make. Did the he wait? Does he chaotic. know? Know for sure that she has the map at this point? Like. Uh, maybe not. Maybe he doesn't know uh, for sure. Maybe but, that's it. He needs to find out. And but but anyway, I did find this to be one plot hole in the movie. It's like this very convenient bus crash wouldn't was not necessarily going to happen in the first place. Right. <laughs> okay. But after the crash, everyone else follows the bus driver, um, but Joan stays because Zolo says another bus will come. And um, here's where we see how ill prepared. Joan is with clothes and luggage. Um, yeah, she's got this big down jack coat still on, right? And a dress <laughs> and like high heels. And her luggage is like not the kind she doesn't have like a backpack. She's got like this hefty, it doesn't even right. have wheels, right? You know? I don't think so. Yeah. Big, Terrible. Well, uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What were people thinking? And um, again, she just listens to Zolo because he's speaking English, but. He does pull a gun on her, holds her up, but this is when we see a (laughs) silhouetted man at the top of a hill wearing almost like a cowboy hat. Yeah. Um, And it's Jack, but we uh, we have a Jesse vibe here. And Zolo shoots at him, and then Jack whips out his shotgun and just (laughs) goes... And they have, so there's this big gunfight. She, uh, Joan hides under the bus. Yeah. So she doesn't get shot in any way. And then Zolo runs off, right? Yeah. yeah. 
So after this gunfight, Jack goes and looks at his truck first and he notices that like all his birds are gone. Like he's, we find out that he's an exotic bird salesperson or, or yeah, he catches the birds and then sells them. And like, that's his whole livelihood. And so his whole livelihood's basically gone. And then he finds Joan like hanging out under the bus. And um, then Joan basically begs him to help her. And we have uh, something I'm going to show a clip of which is them bargaining for Joan trying to bargain with Jack to help her. So we'll play this little clip. Please, I need your help. That's my new career. It's very... Lady. Lady. Half a year's work just flew south for the winter, all right? My Jeep is totaled. In about five minutes, everything I own in the world is going to be wet. So can you lighten up, please? I really don't have the time. I'll pay you. You don't understand. It's a matter of life and death. If I don't get to How my much? Sister... $50? Oh, shit. Well, you, you said you just lost everything you owned. Not my sense of humor. Well, I'll pay you $100. $200. I'll do it. Five. What? I'll pay you $250. Now, I ain't cheap, but I can't be had. My minimum price for taking a stranded woman to a telephone is $400. Will you take 375 in traveler's checks? American Express? Of course. Not a deal. Good. <laughs> I love that part. That pleasantly surprised me. Um, I looked it up. I'm like, was like, was someone trying to compete in traveler's checks with American Express? Where like, because it was so tight. It was so bam, bam, bam. Um, Apparently, I I found a quote that it was uh, an inside joke for something else. I didn't put it in. Yeah. But, uh, you know, my husband worked at American Express for a long time. Okay. And so. um, It was funny anyway. Like everyone in the theater laughed. Because I think there were a lot of ads for American Express in the 80s, too. Like, it was like, you know. Yeah. And here we have this trope of, um, you know, paying somebody to help you, which we previously talked about in Leap Year in reference to this even. So, yeah. And and I know I've seen this trope elsewhere, especially it's a trope in romance novels. So. Yeah. So they get going and then we get to Ralph is in his car, but it gets intercepted by Zolo. So. Um, what kind of, he sh- shows a badge. Yeah. So right. I did a little research on Columbia in the eighties and like, there were a lot of different groups. Like I didn't do enough research to really understand this, but apparently there were corrupt police and also corrupt paramilitary organizations. And some people were part of both. And like, so there's a lot right. of competing organizations in Columbia at the time. It yeah. seems like, it seems like Zolo is supposed to be part of like a corrupt or, or a separate paramilitary organization. Yes. With a lot of yes. power. Yeah. And yeah. so he commandeers, he commandeers Rolf's ridiculous little car. <laughs> yeah. And he pretends not to speak English. Oh, uh, um, Ralph does. Ralph, Ralph does. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's obvious I, he's an American. He's like, like, oh, no, Dio Americanos. I hate Americanos. I spit them pew or something, right? <laughs> and he's trying to like hold his hand up to his face to <laughs> hide his face um Cause he's, yeah because he's a criminal yeah so he doesn't yeah. want to be inter- yeah it's cr- it's a funny scene 
Uh, and uh, Zolo has him drive to some sort of military police compound where Zolo gathers men to find Joan and Ralph takes down his own wanted poster uh, <laughs> as, as he's talking to Ira. And there's this very great physical comedy bit where he, you know, hops up on this desk to retrieve this wanted poster and then falls down on the other yeah, side. And it's pretty good. I did. I really did laugh at that. I thought that was very <laughs> funny. Danny DeVito's a very funny guy. Yeah. And he, the script yeah. is good, too. And then um, one of my favorite scenes um, still to this day, even though it's kind of rude, I don't know. Like, so Joan is like dragging her ridiculously oversized heavy suitcase and he asks her like, hey, have you got anything useful in there? You got any valuables in there? You got any good pair of walking shoes? And and she's like, no, I don't have any good walking shoes. They're all like these. And then Jack uh, picks up his her suitcase and she thinks he's going to help uh, her carry it. But instead he tosses it over the side of a ridge. And Joan starts to yell at him, but then she ends up falling down the same ridge and in the mudslide scene. And this was like my favorite scene when I was a kid. How can a kid not love a mudslide, right? Yeah. Like I love it was it was very it was very cool to watch. It was a great action scene. And Jack like slides down after her, obviously, because now he wants his like money. So I got this information from AFI, the American Film Institute. Um, so this is a quote. Quote, the mudslide scene that portrays Joan and Jack falling down a steep mountain slope was filmed in 30-yard increments with a custom-built chute. Although the stuntmen were propelled through the slide with 150 gallons of water at speeds up to 30 miles per hour, they traveled only short distances in each shot before they landed in cargo nets at the base of the chute. These sequences were later edited together to make the slide appear much longer. So I'll I'll include a link to that info also in the show notes. I thought that was interesting. And um yeah, a lot of artistry went into like making that scene look so realistic. Cuz like when mm. I was a kid I thought, "Oh yeah, you can you can slide down hills in a mudslide." <laughs> it's a good thing I didn't encounter any mudslides to try slide. <laughs> Let's see. Like I can fly like Superman and leap off the bed and hurt right? yourself. You're like, "There's some mud in this. I'm going for it." Oh dear. <laughs> Here's another classic trope um jack cuts off the heels of joan's shoes and she goes these were italian and he goes now they're practical it drives me crazy as i mentioned when we did leap year that anyone is traveling anywhere without a pair of walking shoes okay like don't do it we always bring walking shoes in fact wear them on the plane like i know the culture was different in the 80s because like there was still a little bit of that residue of like you dress up to get on the plane like when when plane travel was first a thing everybody dressed up right yeah and like it's only been recently that people have started showing up in their pajamas but like for me it's like you know balance comfort and style together right yes yes and definitely have some shoes that you can like, you know, walk distances in because you never know what you're probably not going to end up in the jungle, but you might end up like on a layover, like a really long layover. So, yeah. Well, shoot. Yeah. So after this, after Jack ruins Joan's shoes, um, Zolo and his men start shooting. They, they've found Jack and Joan. And the, yeah, and they have a lot of good character exposition in this section. Like they're having conversations yeah. while they're running. Like he finds out she's a romance novelist and yep. there's this great chase into the jungle and a lot of like good dialogue. And like Jack's like, what'd you do? Wake up this morning and say, today I'm going to ruin a man's life. I don't know why, but I would quote that too when I was a kid, which is sort of vaguely misogynistic of my, you know, eight year old self. But. 
<laughs> well, and they get to this rickety bridge, a uh, rope bridge, and Joan's like, "Yeah, rope and wood, like, like rope like, and wood." And Jack says, "This is not passable. You cannot go on." And he's trying to do a shootout. Well, she, he's like, "We can't go over this. No way." And and she, you know, this is her first inkling of of getting some courage, yeah. and she's just like, "I'm not going to sit around here." And she, you know gingerly makes her way across the bridge and she she starts to fall and she's on a you know a vine that is secured somewhere and she you know swings across the rest of this yeah you know ravine yeah she grabs the vine because it's the only thing left to grab yeah yeah and then jack realizes what happened and he grabs a vine and also swings across the ravine and he finds her on the other side, like drinking one of the mini alcohol bottles from her bag. And he's like, <laughs> you're drinking. I could have died. And you're drinking. And I love that. She's just like, I don't care. Like, you know, he like, 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 well, she, she just did this brave thing. She yeah. just was going to walk across the thing and then had to like swing across for her life. I might need a drink too. I mean, yeah. And she's also like, you know, like he's not, he didn't help me do this. I did this by myself. I'm going to have a drink. And then he takes the drink from her and also drinks. So yeah, they're a good match. <laughs> and that, so they've gotten away a little bit and now they're, he's got some like machete type thing yeah. and he's, you know, hacking through the trees and, and she's like, can't you go any faster? It does, is that when he, she does yeah, this part yeah, and he gives yeah. her the machete. And so she kind of like, again, another like, you know, taking control and like giving it a shot. She's got a big knife in her hand now. She's whacking at the, at trees and they, well, she's chopping through trees and then she turns around and there's a skull in her face and she screams and, oh, and and this part. Yeah. And it's on a plane. It's like, wait, wait, wait. Sorry. Go ahead. Here she's screaming and then terrified. And then Jack runs up and she, she, curls up into his chest and his you know he he holds her for a minute i thought that was really oh. like Ooh. that's funny Ooh. i didn't even notice that part yeah i did i did because and, and his arm is you see his muscle and it's just very <laughs> like strong man oh yeah and he was checking out her legs him. while like she was hacking through the underbrush as well you see him mm-hmm. checking out her leg yeah 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 so, like, the skull is hanging out of this plane that they find, and Jack lets her know, this is a, you know, this plane is a drug plane. This was a drug-running plane. And they they go into the they go into the plane, and this is kind of like they're getting to know each other sequence of the movie. I, it's one of my favorites because, like, it's a quiet, you know, character parts with the two characters not in a lot of immediate danger. And mm-hmm. also get stoned because Jack makes a fire by throwing a bunch of marijuana like on uh, into a place. I don't actually. I don't know how he made the fire, but he uses marijuana as fuel. So they're they're getting stoned and they're talking to each other. And in the course of this, he finds out about the treasure map, and Joan really doesn't want him to know about this because she you know she doesn't want people getting involved and like screwing it up for her, and. At one point, um, she's angry at him and yelling at him. And in the meantime, a snake is like like behind her, squirming up behind her, like a large snake. And he reaches out with the machete and chops the head out of the snake, head off of the snake. And then I guess they end up eating the snake because he says it's delicious. Sorry. And this scene has so much because it's just like it's got that action element, even in the quiet character moment. You know, it's got your little mm-hmm. snake thing. So I guess that is a sort of Raiders of the Lost Ark-esque thing. But the script was written before Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> and um jack also shares his dream which is sailing away on a boat and um 
Yeah, they're kind of bonding. But then Joan passes out from all the marijuana fire. And Jack takes the map out of her bag and checks it out. So you get this inkling that, oh, like he might he might have ulterior motives going on. Yeah. We're not, can we trust him? Yeah. We don't know. And then cut to Zolo meets up with his paramilitary guys. They drive by Ralph sleeping in the back seat of his little tiny car. And um, they're doing surveillance on the small town that Jack and Joan have are walking into. And then this is like one of the, oh, there's so many good scenes. Well, this, this is also is one of the scene. best freaking scenes of the movie. Okay. So Jack and Joan are walking into this small town and Jack says that these people kind of in a Soto Voce says they're drug runners. And like um, Jack, like they're kind of this, the guys in the town start to kind of like harass them a little bit. And Jack is like trying to shoot his way out of the situation. But Joan stops him immediately. Thank goodness by being polite and asking to find a car. And these guys, these kind of tough looking guys, send them over to the bell maker, which Jack says is probably the boss of all the drug people. Then we have this great scene. So we have this great scene where Jack um, is trying to ask the bell maker whether they can use the car. And let's see how that goes for him and what the end result is. Ah, senor, buenos dias. Necesitamos uno para... What do you want, gringo? Well, you speak English. Oh, that's, that's great. Uh, we understand that you have a car. We would like to rent it or buy it. We have to get to a town. What do you call this I'm living in? A pigsty? Uh, no. No, this is lovely. It's... Hit the road. Oh, amigo, you don't understand. Uh... Hit the road. Senor, I... Vaya con Dios, gringo. It's cool. It's cool. It's... Okay. Vaya con Dios. Oh. Okay, John Wilder, write us out of this one. John Wilder? John Wilder? Vision Wilder? You are John Wilder, the novelist? Yes, I am. I read your books. I read all your books. Come in. Este es Juanita Wilder, la que escribe las novelas que le leo los sábados. Juanita. Le damos la bienvenida, ¿verdad, muchachos? Juanita. Juanita. Come in. Adiós, amiga. I can't believe Adiós. you're here. John Wilder. I love it. I love I had to, it. I had to make myself not laugh because, like, I can see the scene in my head too. Like the yeah. guys behind them who've walked behind them with the guns, and like they're like Juanita, Juanita. They're so excited. <laughs> they're about to shoot it. them, and now they're like, "Oh, you're the best person ever." <laughs> I read all your books. Oh, yes, fantastic. <laughs> I love it too. And I love this because it shows, like, again, it's another example of, like, Joan showing power and showing, like, her the power that she has because she is a writer and a romantic and, like, a woman, essentially, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. that Jack does not have with his kind of brute force. Like, although I respect for him speaking Spanish, so there you go. (laughs) I mean, well, also that it's these tough, gun-toting drug dealers who are like all up into her novels you know her <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're the greatest so yeah isn't this when after this 
Jack starts reading her novel. He's like, wow. Yeah. yeah. Juan, played by Alfonso Arau, gives him a copy as well of the novel. So that's another reason he can read it. Um, and oh, oh, and we should say that yeah. Juan's house is like, you walk inside these gates and it's like super luxurious patio and he's got alcohol and rock music and whatever. But he doesn't yeah. have a phone. He doesn't like phones, apparently. And then meanwhile, yeah. outside, you clip cut to outside and Zolo and his men are in that small town and like harassing this like older woman and trying to be like, where are the Americans? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. So, um, okay. We're in a section oh. where we can do spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler time. So okay. get out now if you haven't seen it yet. It's not a very long movie. Go and watch it. <laughs> it's worthwhile. So he, Juan does indeed have a car, although at first he calls it his little mule. So they don't think it's a car, but then there's a cut to, um, a big, like, SUV Jeep like super truck thing like like bursting out of the garage and like while Zolo and like surprising Zolo's men and it has little mule written on it and Juan also calls his car Pepe and this is like a really great chase scene because like it is it's like a super well choreographed chase scene but then also like Juan's like it's comic it's comic too because Juan's like pointing out all the like the places in his village because he wants to get that was fantastic he's like you see this tree my parents planted this tree like do you see that Shaq, you know, that was my, you know, oh, that was, that's, that's where my mother was born or something. Yeah, yeah my mother was born. She <laughs> wants to show them his village while they're loves, running away. Joan. From- yeah, because he loves Joan so much. He wants to like show her, yeah, show her everything. <laughs> it's hilarious. I love it. <gasps> yes, that was, that cracked me up. I enjoy and, that very much. And I put this quote here just because, okay, so he, at one point he said, this guy who's following you, he's very persistent. And the only reason I put that quote there is because this is the movie where I learned what persistent meant because I asked my mom. Okay. <laughs> but it's like cool to remember like, how, what else, when did I, where did I learn this word? Because you don't remember that for a lot of words. And this movie had a lot of effect on me in many ways. And then, like, they get to this place where they think, like, oh, how are we going to get away from Zolo and his men? And there's a river that doesn't have a bridge. And then uh, Juan, like, presses some button in his Jeep and this, like, ramp shows up that he can drive over the ramp and, like, fly across the river. But then as soon as they're across the river, he pushes another button and it makes it into a wall so that Zolo's men crash into the wall and then into the river. And he calls it Lupe's Escape. And so, <laughs> so it's kind of a cool little thing, like, you know, maybe a deus ex machina, but I don't know. I liked it. And and then they drive up to like a mountain side or hillside overlooking a village or a small town. And at this point, Joan has let her hair down for the first time. Her hair is dry and loose and pretty. And she's in a field picking flowers, looking beautiful. And then also uh, Juan says the words El Tenedor del Diablo to refer to this uh, cactus. And that was a site on the treasure map that Jack had seen. So he is excited now because he wants to, you know, find this treasure. Yeah. I I love that scene where, you know, her hair's down and she's picking the flowers and one of her beautiful legs is sticking out from the slit of her skirt. And, um, you know, it was... It was kind of campy, but it was also just fantastic, you know, and Jack is noticing her beautiful self. And um, yeah. anyway, yeah, I liked it. <laughs> so then the town that they're overlooking, um, they they drive into the town and as they drive in, uh, Ralph is on the phone with Ira 
and the town around him is having a festival and I was really mad at Ralph, but then like Joan and Jack just show up in the car with Juan at the perfect time. And Ralph's like, You're, they're here, they're here. And so he's on the trail and the small town here, like the best I could find out, it's probably a place in Mexico called Huasca de Ocampo, which is located in the Sierra de Pachuca mountains in Hidalgo. And it is about an hour and 40 minutes from Mexico City. And it's promoted as a tourism destination because of its traditional houses, its old hacienda facilities. Haciendas were kind of like estates and like they also like uh, usually produce things like products. And there's also waterfalls and canyons in the area. And you can go horseback riding, hiking, rock climbing in that area. So if you wanted to see a site from Romancing the Stone, it seems like some of the filming was done there. It's a great area. And I thought this was really funny. So like, this is not anything to do with Romancing the Stone, but in that same area, there's a museum dedicated to goblins, which are called Duendes, the Museo de los Duendes. So, <laughs> you know, if nothing Ooh. else, you can like, yeah, you can see some goblin museum as well. So big fun. <laughs> That's funny. Well, they, they're in a hotel room now. Oh, no, not in a hotel room yet. First Joan pays him. Yeah. She, but she, where's she pay him at? Like in the street? Because they're, because they're about to like, she's like saying, well, there's one of those, I guess this is it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. She pays him, but Jack offers to buy her dinner and he go gets her clothes and oh, the dinner dance scene. And, um, so she's, she's in the, her room. She's gotten, a shower and she sees the beautiful clothes laid out and yeah and which she, good good job for jack buying her clothes in her size that also look good yeah amazing and so I mean, she comes out of novel. <laughs> <laughs> so she comes out of the inn and he and so the this town festival is happening and then he comes into the shot and he's wearing this <laughs> Like white, white long sleeve shirt and white pants and like some kind of a embroidered sash belt thing. Um, and piping. <laughs> yeah, but and it's so 80s. It's so 80s, but he kind of looks ha- awesome. I don't know. I like, I still think he looks <laughs> handsome. Yes, it's it's comical and yet he can play it off. It's great. I, Sylvester Stallone would not have been able to play off that. Outfit. No, not no, in a million years. You're right. You're right. <laughs> So in this scene, they're both looking at each other. They're both thinking each other's hot. But like my question watching it today is how much is Jack actually falling for and how much is he after the treasure? Like, what do you think at this point? I totally thought he was falling for her and didn't at all think he was thinking about the treasure. Like when I first Um, watched it, I didn't think that either. But now when I've watched it again, I'm trying to like mm -hmm. turn on my like cynical mind a little bit more and be like, Mm -hmm. yeah, but he's still like he had... Xerox the map and he's like hiding things from her, you know? Yeah. 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 Like, like, cause yeah, the scene where he's getting the hotel room, he's also asking if there's a Xerox machine so he can Xerox the map. So yeah. But this is also a beautiful romantic scene. It's so weird. It's like Mm -hmm. on the one hand, he could be conning her. On the other hand, they have this dance sequence where with the beautiful Alan Silvestri music, which is so effective and ah, and and like a perfect first kiss. Like I've never seen a better first kiss in it. Well, maybe dirty dancing, but other than that. Ooh, yeah. But there you go. Dancing. I love it. I love falling in oh, love true. in the dance floor scene. My true. favorite. Can't get enough of them. Yeah. Um and, but true. while they're dancing, there's a there <laughs> they cut to Danny DeVito. He's crawling on the ground and under a table trying to reach her purse, Joan's purse with the yeah. map in it. And yeah. and then uh an older, quite 
big well Danny DeVito's a small guy to begin with but this woman is like double his size in every way and she sees him and she she starts beating him up I thought yeah because she thinks he's being a pervert like his he's under her table she thinks he's perving on her so she's pissed off (laughs) great bit of comedy right there yeah and then after the kiss on the dance floor so this cuts directly like the after they kiss it cuts directly to the hotel room and they're lying naked together in bed and i just want to say this is the first time i thought about like i I had an idea of what sex might be was this scene in this movie (laughs) and i was like oh (laughs) i was like the people are naked and they're lying on top of each other okay (laughs) <laughs> like I didn't have I didn't have much more sophisticated idea about it, but I was like, that's what you do. And like I just I have a very clear memory of that. Like that was like that stuck that image stuck with me. And yeah. um while they're in bed together, like Joan agrees that they will look for the treasure together because Jack is, says that she, she will have more to bargain with if she has the treasure rather than just the map, which I think is not true. <laughs> I would not have gone for the treasure. I'm sorry. I I would have been too cautious. Maybe that's a problem with me. But like, I would have been like, if they find out that you're screwing with them, what if they kill your sister? Like, that would have been my mindset. What do you think? Uh, uh, Yeah, in real life. But because this is an adventure romance show, like, you know, she's she's feeling brave, you know, and and she's a different person now. So she's like, you're right. Let's go find that treasure, you know. yeah. That's where I think her character is coming from in that space and in this in this realm in this story. But yeah, in real life, it'd be like, um, I just need to get my sister back. But it's great that they go get it together. And then the next morning, they steal Ralph's car with him in it. Oh, and they don't the they be- don't know it's Ralph. They just randomly find the one car with the person who can- <laughs> right. And he's sleeping in the back, so they don't see him. And I love how like, but. Isn't this where Zola's men start to come after them? And 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 Jack is fiddling with some wire. She's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm going to hotwire. And she's like, just turn the key. Like the key's in the ignition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. While they escape in the car, while they escape in the car, you see one of Zola's men watching with binoculars. They're everywhere. They're watching yeah. everywhere. <laughs> and, they, and they see her them driving away in the car towards where the treasure is. So then they're like fiddling around with the map. And at first, like Jack's like, well, I don't recognize any of this. They're like, oh, what, this stuff isn't here. And, and Jack's like, oh, landmarks change. And then all of a sudden, Joan folds the map a certain way so that a heart forms and a waterfall forms. And you can see the place where it is. Like she has figured out how to put the map together so that you can find the treasure, which is yeah. awesome. And yeah. Then, yeah. And then they go into the cavern where the treasure is hidden. And, um, Jack translates leche de la madre, which is mother's milk. And they see this like milky white water pouring from the ceiling and they start digging in that uh, water. And they pull out a little statuette thing. And you ask a very good question. How (laughs) ancient could this treasure be inside that particular statue? Yeah, Yeah, it looks like it's from the 1950s, maybe. Right. Yeah. 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 Um. And I love that. And Jack's like, uh, this is what's going on here. But I love this bit, too. She's like, oh, from one of my novels, I hid the treasure in the statue. Yeah. And so they I was like, yes, yeah, that's so murder. She wrote that's so <laughs> that's so classic. Well, when I was doing research for my my story, yeah. Um, and that's how they solve the crime or what have you. And so they crack it open and there's this beautiful emerald 
And then there's this really good line where she's like, I can't believe I'm here digging for treasure with you. Like, and she says, Jack, you're the best time I've ever had. And he said, I've never been anybody's best time before. So that was a sweet line. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Sure. And then just as, you know, all that beautiful dialogue happens and they found the treasure they're ready to go ralph holds them up at gunpoint because don't forget he was sleeping in the back of the car <laughs> and he goes i'm stealing this stone i'm not trying to romance out from under her yep. looking at jack while he yep. said you know and she's like you know i'm like what and then so i they give it to him right um yeah because otherwise they'll be dead <laughs> And then, like, Zolo's right. dudes show up, and um, Ralph runs off because, yep, and there's another big chase scene. We've got so many, and there's Mounties in this chase scene, too. There's cars, there's horses, there's Ralph on foot with a shopping bag. It's mayhem. <laughs> shopping bag. And then Drone's driving yeah. this car, but and she makes this odd decision to drive it into a river full of rapids. And she's still trying to steer the car when it's in the rapids, which is hilarious. And then they come to the edge of a freaking waterfall. And so this stunt is like so well done. Like I was really curious about how it was done. And AFI had a quote about how it was done. We'll put a link to where you can find this information. So I'm going to read the whole explanation again from the quote. Quote, the special effects crew who backpacked equipment to the location spent an additional five days to set up the shot. Building a wooded ramp at the mouth of the waterfall in an area that was not visible to the camera. A stunt car filled with styrofoam and inner tubes was released off the waterfall as stuntmen, who were standing outside the vehicle on footrails, jumped in unison. The camera lens compressed the image, conveying the impression that the stuntmen were close to the car while they were actually 30 feet away. And um, mm. yeah, I don't completely understand it still from that explanation, but it no, sounds like same. very involved. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And so the probable, I couldn't find for sure the location, but some sources said that it was probably Rio Antigua near Veracruz, Mexico, where some of the other scenes in the movie were filmed. And interestingly, you can book rafting trips of varying difficulty on this river. So, and in the fall and the spring, the Puente Nacional section has the largest hawk migration in the world. And so another place, if you wanted to get a little piece of romancing the stone adventure, I looked at some shots of this river and it looks very similar. So, and whether or not it is, it's still your rafting and, you know, (laughs) you're rafting in a cool location. So I'm going to leave in the show notes, a link to some rafting trip information too. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jen. Um, So Joan and Jack end up on opposite sides of the river and Jack promises to meet her in Cartagena. Um, But she's feeling cynical, you know, Yeah, she's got the map and he's got the stone at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, And all she needs to deliver is the map. So, yeah, um, yeah, Joan enters Cartagena looking a mess. And you ask a very good question. How does she still have her bag? (laughs) Yeah, she jumped Um, off a waterfall, man. She's committed to keeping that bag. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess if who's got your passport and you've lost everything else. Well, all I could think about is like, thank God. Like if you had a cell phone, it'd be ruined by now. Like, oh, yeah. I guess it's, <laughs> that was my thought. Um, so she calls Ira and they make a plan to meet at a fort, some kind of military yeah. fort. So, um, um, so yeah. So as she arrives by water taxi to the fort that same night, um, there's a rainless thunderstorm because of course, <laughs> 
<laughs> it has to be menacing, but rain would be mm-hmm. inconvenient. And mm-hmm. um, the fort where this is filmed, this is for sure the Fort of San Juan de Alua in Veracruz, Mexico. And you can, in fact, visit this fort. Um, it consists of various fortresses and prisons, as well as a former palace. And it was built between 1535 and 1769. Today, it's a museum. The tickets did seem to be pretty expensive from what I could find out, like about $40 a ticket. But you yeah. can also see it on different tours. So, But if you're like a big fan or you just like seeing impressive sites, it might be worth checking this fort out. So... The map exchange happens and Elaine is released to Joan. So that's with Ira, right? Yeah, yeah. Ira does the map exchange with them. Ira does the map exchange. Bad guy number one. (laughs) (laughs) But then bad guy number two, Zolo arrives with Jack and Ralph and Zolo demands to see the stone. And he cuts Joan's hand, like, yeah. uh, like because he knows that like the map is worthless and that they already have the stone. And he wants to know where it is, so he holds, he cuts Joan's hand, holds her bleeding hand over the crocodile slash alligator pit. But um, Jack is very slow to reveal where the stone is. Okay, like, yeah. I'm like mm, mm. I didn't notice this when I was younger, and I was just like, oh, Jack, so dreamy. But now I'm like, mm, I don't know. And, yeah. and he's apparently yeah. been hiding it in his crotch, which is discovered when one of Zolo's men like bangs him in the crotch, and there's like a clanging noise. And after he slides the, the stone down his pants and off onto his foot, he then kicks the stone over to Zolo and says, choke on it. Like, really good kick because he man- it manages, Zolo manages to catch it in his hand. So Zolo's so happy he has a stone in his hand over this alligator pit. And then, of course, the crocodile slash alligator comes up and bites his hand off. And <laughs> he's <laughs> fucking screaming. Okay, one question here. Why yeah. would they have not have strip searched Jack in the fucking first place? Uh, yeah, many... <laughs> I just Many noticed questions. this. I only just noticed this plot hole doing the podcast. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. I didn't, watching the movie, it didn't bother me. Did it bother you? Did you feel find any of this improbable? Uh, you know, it had been such a long time since I'd seen the film that it was almost like watching it all over again. And so I was just into it. Okay. I didn't, you know, I mean, for instance, like this hand being bitten off. I mean, it was the the effect or the the stunt is so cheesy and terrible like that's the stuff that stuck out to me <laughs> um and i and I, I thought of peter pan immediately oh yeah um, definitely so yeah zolo's oh, yeah. got his hand bits bit off and then joan grabs his knife and then runs off with elaine jack grabs a gun and yep. there's a big gunfight. Yeah, and- I don't even know who all is involved in this gunfight. There might be some of Ralph and Ira's men, too. I don't know what's going on. There's a lot of yeah. people. Yeah, there's, yeah, right? I mean, they're kind of surrounded by every bad person. Um, and, and Zolo so- is some- somehow still okay. Like, still, still able going. to walk around. Yeah. Um, and Ira, of course, abandons Ralph. He's so not loyal. Um, yeah. He goes off on a boat, and Ralph's like, wait, I'm your cousin. <laughs> I know they leave him behind. Um, so the gunfight part appears to have mostly ended. Like maybe they all shot each other. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, and then at this point it's just Zolo going after Elaine and um, Joan. And he's, I think he's just really basically out for vengeance. Cause the crocodile already fucked off with the stone. So um, right. Jack is trying to catch the crocodile that has the presumably has the stone, which is trying to like swim into the ocean and at the same time, Zolo 
is asks Joan, how will you die, Joan Wilder? Like quick like this or yeah, it's like it's he uses the same line that Grogan did in her book in the beginning of the movie. So a similar mm-hmm. line. And mm-hmm. um, Joan tries the same technique that her character did, where she tries to throw a knife at him and he catches it on this piece of wood instead. So it doesn't really work. <laughs> Yeah, like all of a sudden he has this like piece of driftwood that he you know quickly gets into his face and it sticks there and I'm like oh my god like it was, but it's also really unlikely silly. she'd be able to like kill somebody with a knife on her first try. Like let's be honest. True. Okay. Yeah. True. But it, yeah. yeah. And then and and like he's at least a trained paramilitary dude. Like there's a chance he'd be really good at this shit. And then like. <laughs> And then, like, Elaine faints. Like, she just faints right off. So so Joan's, like, left alone with Zolo, um, the one-handed man. And she's calling for Jack, who's down trying to deal with his crocodile. But he's, like, he's not coming yet. He's trying to reach his gun, but he's really committed to keeping this crocodile. And and then eventually he decides to give up the the alligator to try to help Joan. And he freaking scales a stone wall. wall. Yep. (laughs) That was awesome. But I, but I love this. I love that Joan saves herself. So yeah. Zolo's got this like cigar in his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> like why? I don't know. She takes the cigar. She turns it around. She freaking burns him with it. He's screaming. While he's screaming, she hits him in the hand, the, the stump hand with the wood. And that fucks him up. And then he falls backwards into a fire that's just randomly burning there. Yeah. And then he's on fire. And then he falls into an alligator pit just for good measure. Yep. I love it. Yeah, she saves herself, and then Jack shows up. Yeah, already won. It's like, yeah, don't need you. <laughs> but that is a great death scene. I didn't. I don't even think I'd ever appreciated that before until just now. I'm just like, that is a lot of ways to be hurt at once. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she gets him. I love oh, it. Man. Hits the wound, and yeah, he falls and falls and. Yeah, and he was going to feed her to the crocodile alligator, but that's how he goes. That's right. Yep. The yep. Alligator crocodile. So <laughs> Jack that? and Joan have this like um, Jack and Joan have this like embrace, and I think they might kiss. They might just hug. And Elaine kind of they wake Elaine up, and Jack is instructing them to go to the American consulate, etc. She's mm-hmm. like, "You're leaving," and like, "Oh, I love this line. This might be might be my favorite line." So he he he's on his way to leave, and he says, "You're going to be all right, Joan Wilder." Yeah. And then he kisses her. You always were. I love that line. Okay. Even though he's kind of being a, a kind of a, like an asshole in a way by leaving yeah. her, but still yeah. I love that line because it's like, yeah, you are going to be all right. You, you were always right. Like you're awesome. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you feel a similar affection to that line? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because, well, yeah, it does everything perfect. It does everything perfect. And so he jumps off the um, wall, the fort wall, into the water. Mm-hmm. And Joan is watching him and uh, touching this necklace he gave her. Yeah, we forgot to mention he yeah. gave her a necklace, a heart necklace, while they were at the dancing thing. And mm-hmm. um, she's watching him sort of like in a melancholy way. And that fades yeah. into her, you know, stroking the necklace in the window in New York as Gloria finishes reading her book. And Gloria's like, this is the best book ever. Oh, my God. And like... <laughs> You're a world-class hopeless romantic. And then Joan says, hopeful romantic. Hopeful yeah. romantic. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. 
And then Joan walks home and she avoids the vendors, which in the beginning, I felt like she was just like flustered by those guys. And this time she's like, hey, dudes, whatevs. And, you know, walks herself <laughs> back to her apartment. With oh, her and she's got the pretty hair, too. She's got the pretty hair yep. now. Like, yeah. Yep. She- Hair's down and she's walking home, turns the corner and sees Jack's boat. Um. Which is named Angelina. Which is named Angelina. And he's waiting for her in front of her building. She climbs up, bringing only the flowers. I put that in because my mom at the time, I remember her saying, why didn't she bring the food? (laughs) (laughs) She's so practical. My mom's like, why would you bring the flowers and not the food? That's funny. Bring that bread and cheese. You're going to need that. That's funny. And then... As she climbs up, the first thing you see, Jack puts his foot up and it's crocodile boots or, you know, <laughs> yeah, crocodile skin or alligator skin. Yeah. And they yeah. drive off together. Okay. Down this street. And all I could think about was like, what did, I, I don't know if you could do that in New York City anymore. Like the way that they blocked off all this traffic to do this yeah. very long shot of this, oh, yeah. this ship, this big boat, this big yeah. sailboat on a on like some kind of trailer driving down the city. I'm like, holy cow. I don't know. <laughs> that yeah. was what I was thinking. And I was talking um, to Serena about this and she wanted to point out like just um, for boat wise that the boat would have not had its sail up. It would have been like packed like in a little bit more if you were transporting mm. it. So just she wasn't Good able point. to join us because we had to reschedule, but just I just wanted to put that in from Serena. <laughs> I think that's a very good point. See, what do I know about boats? And um and I want to drive- yeah. yeah, I want to know who's driving the boat. <laughs> Has yeah. Jack got like a butler now? Because <laughs> he's up there kissing her. This beautiful romantic scene, mind you. Like I didn't ever notice this when I was a kid, but who's driving it? Who's driving and, and, it? And, and what about her cat? She, maybe I they're, what the, what's going to happen is they're going to drive like five blocks and she's going to be like, oh, wait a minute, Jack. I have to find a cat sitter for Romeo. <laughs> I know. Yeah. They made such a point of it at the beginning, and now she just yeah. leaves the cat. Well, to be fair, it wouldn't be a very romantic ending if she's like, just wait a minute. I have to get my cat. <laughs> I know. I anyway. know. So that means, like, we know that with the with the sh- boots, the implication is that he got that oh, stone yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. Important. Important to remember. Yeah. Important yeah. to remember. He got the stone. Either he sold it because oh, yeah, he no. was able to get that boat. Like, Yeah. Yeah, that he says that the crocodile died in his arms of like indigestion. Oh, right. <laughs> and then she's like, "If I were to die, there's no place I'd rather be." Oh, what a line! <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, and then the so end good. credits so music. I love the end credits music. I love it. Dun, 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 I just dun. went. Sorry. Okay. That's okay. I think we should do a whole little separate podcast. Jen does the music. No. The duns of the the theme song. So a little extra. That brings us to the end of the film. And yeah, anything else to say about the story or plot before we... We're going to talk a little bit more about themes, but anything else you want to add before we... It was just so enjoyable. And and I kind of went in with low expectations, feeling like it was going to be dated. And, um, you know, every other rom-com has used what's in this one. In fact, I'm a little like extra pissed off with Leap Year. I'm like, I think it was just ripped <laughs> off, ripped off, not inspired by 
ripped off all of those. Well, they gave them backstories and emotions and and somebody, a bride got hit in the head with a shoe. (laughs) Weird. (laughs) I'm sorry. Okay. So So because we, we, I wanted to give a little respect to Colombia because this movie was filmed in Mexico. So we haven't talked about any Cartagena locations. So I'll just give a little background because Cartagena also turns out to be a really cool place to visit. You won't see sets from the movie there, but um, Cartagena was founded in 1533 and it was a main Spanish trading port. And it is currently the capital of the Bolivar department of Colombia. Its population is just over a million people and it is the fifth largest city in Colombia. And interestingly, in 1984, the same year this movie came out, um, the colonial walled city and fortress of Cartagena was designated as a UNESCO World Heritage Site. So that's pretty cool. And there have been inhabitants inhabitants in the area of Cartagena as early as 4000 BC. So there have been indigenous people, the Puerto Hormiga culture. And they found a lot of really cool ancient artifacts in the area. And I'm not doing the whole history of Columbia this time because, quite frankly, I've just been feeling a little ill the last few weeks, so haven't had time. So I just wanted to, though, talk about some Cartagena travel sites and tips that I learned from some research. So you definitely want to visit, if you go to Cartagena, the walled city and old town. And people seem to either love it or hate it. They love it for the cobblestones, cathedrals, murals, music, and food. Or they hate it because there's a lot of street vendors and scammers and potholes. Mm. So, you know, <laughs> you got you to, gotta, when you look at the reviews, that's kind of what it boils down to. It seems to be a lot of five-star and one-star. Another interesting place is the Castillo de San Felipe de Barajas, which is a castle built by the Spanish for defense starting in 1536 and developed over the years. It has a lot of interesting tunnels, apparently, and only some of them are open to visitors because it hasn't been completely upkept, but it seems to be really cheap to visit, like less than $5 a ticket, according to Frommers. So that could be a cool place. Apparently, it's a very important castle, like if you want to visit, you know, South American castles. And um, another area to visit is Barrio Getsemani. It's a cool neighborhood with a lot of murals, cute cafes, and music. A park you might want to go to, Plaza de Bolivar has a lot of green space and a lot of dancers will show up and put on little performances. And then this one is very relevant to Romance in the Stone, even though the film was not made there. Caribe Jewelry Museum and Factory is a, mm. so they've got a museum factory and a store. I think they might be in three different locations though, but they specialize in emeralds, including rare emeralds. So in their museum, they have the largest vein ever found in Colombia. And they also have a replica of an emerald mine. So you can see what it's like to mine emeralds. Ooh. And I think the museum part is in the old city next to the gold museum. So oh. <laughs> there you go, Sophia. And oh. I think they also have a thing where you can like make your own like emerald jewelry program thing. So oh. kind of cool stuff. And there's, of course, Cartagena is a coastal city. So there's beaches, Punta Arena Beach. Uh, there's a option to book with a beach club while you're there so you can avoid vendors. La Boquilla Beach, which is away from the tourist areas and near a lot of restaurants and kiosks. And Playa Blanca in Baru, which is 40 minutes away by boat, but apparently has really beautiful water. And then I was really interested in these foods to try, even though as a vegan, again, I can barely eat any of them. I'm sure there's wonderful Colombian vegan food too, though. But there's Arepa de Huevo, which is a corn patty fried with egg inside. Mm. Does that sound good? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seafood ceviche, seafood with lime juice, onions, cilantro, fish soup. I would not eat that. <laughs> whole fi- <laughs> there's a whole fish in it, you like with its head. Yucca mm-hmm. and sweet plantain. 
Um, shaved ice with condensed milk and syrup, local candies, and I would totally eat this, sour mango, mango with lime juice, salt, and pepper. So it's like fresh mango, but they treat it with, in fact, I could make that. I should just make that mm-hmm. sometime. And coconut rice with shrimp. So it looks like Colombia is a great place to like enjoy food and music and like just like looking at the ambiance of the old architecture and going to the beach. So, you know, there are some travel advisories advisories for Colombia, but a lot of them don't apply to Cartagena. But they do. The U.S. Department of State does say not to go there due to COVID-19 right now. Um, certain areas of Colombia also come with risk of crime, terrorism and kidnapping. But Cartagena, the department Cartagena is in, is not on the high risk list. But people recommend that you book your lodging ahead of time, make sure it's in a safe location. And while you're there, obviously, like protect your belongings, don't flash money around and just like kind of read up about like what are some common scams or that people will run on tourists ahead of time, just so you're prepared. And that advice applies to wherever you're going. If you're going to Paris, Mm -hmm. same thing applies. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit about Cartagena. And then I just wanted to say there, I'm surprised there's less there. I'm surprised there is not as much criticism of the movie as I expected, right? Because if you're watching this movie, there's this kind of a stereotypical portrayal of Colombia as like full of drug dealers and villains and like mm-hmm. guys with evil mustaches. <laughs> <laughs> and like there's there actually weren't very many articles about it and maybe it's because it's older. I don't know. What yeah. do you think? That would make sense. Um, perhaps people were less um, concerned about stereotypes and certainly in um, the 80s the 80s is like stereotype land right like yeah yeah and actually for an 80s movie i think this is like actually better than a lot of 80s movies in that regard especially because i looked up columbia in the 80s was actually very dangerous at the time they they actually decided not to film there because there had been recent kidnappings of americans and that's why they Mm -hmm. moved the shooting to mexico so Mm -hmm. it's like on one hand it is portraying you know only columbia kind of in a bad light but on the other hand it was very dangerous at the time. Like, I guess in the 80s, there there was a lot of production and sale of cocaine and marijuana. There's the drug war going on. There were kidnappings for ransom. There was theft. Um, the government had a lot of corruption problems. The police and military officials were corrupt in many cases. And there were vigilante groups, which some of them were for self-defense. Some of them were paramilitary organizations. Some of them were trained by the military and had government approval. And wow. I read this, and this is wild. So... In 1984, the Minister of Justice was assassinated by people related to the drug trade. And in 1985, guerrillas entered the Palace of Justice and took hostages. And when the building was raided by the military, a hundred people were killed, including half of the Supreme Court justices. Whoa. So and by the late by the late 80s, homicide was the country's leading cause of death, and 1989 was the most violent year. So, like on the one hand, like you don't want to have stereotypical portrayals. On the other hand, this might not have been a stereotype in the context <laughs> in the context within which it was situated, which is her being in the middle of nowhere, um, being pursued by people who are after a map, right? So, mm-hmm. like, she probably would run into a lot of, like, people, villains, because <laughs> of her story. And, like, what do you do is, like, that, yeah, that little old lady on the side of the road who's just minding her own business and like being a kid growing up around her. Yeah. What about all the rest of that population who's just trying to have a yeah. life, you know, work, a family, go to school, you know? And My I also God. I also do like though that they portrayed Juan, you know, as and his guys as like being into romance novels and like as long as you yes. approach them the right way and you happen to be a romance novelist. <laughs> Right. Pretty fun Good guys. Good to go. 
good to go. Yeah. Golly. Anyway, like, I don't know. There's, I would, I would deal more with criticism of the movie, except that like, there isn't a lot of it out there to be honest. And like, I think for the eighties, it did a good job as in general. Do you want to talk any um, more about romance novels? And um, I had put a little bit in. I think we talked about it, like her life versus you know the fantasy and um, and how her you know story gives her some strength throughout the whole thing. And I just I you know people poo poo romance novels, but I I have a link to an article from Entertainment Weekly as of. 2014 sales of romance novels in all their permutations exceed 1 billion annually in the US. That is a lot of it is a huge fat genre that has yeah different, you know, there's there's paranormal, there's sci-fi, there's western, there's you know, oh regency's huge, you know, all these yep. different subgenres and it makes a lot of money. People love them. And I I could recommend one of my um, favorite web- websites. It's called uh, Smart Bitches Trashy Novels. <laughs> it, it, it's you know it's reviews on yeah. all kinds of uh, novels, uh, romance novels, and they have a great podcast as well. Oh, so. nice, <laughs> nice! Yeah. I love it. Yeah, put that. Be sure to put that in the um, outline at some points. So we can put in the show notes. Sure. Yeah. Excellent. And so um, one question I had was, um, and I think for you, it seems to he has, like, does Jack hold up still as a rom-com hero? Like, I think when I was a kid, I had no complaints about Jack. I was just like, yes, he's the best. He's this mysterious, action-oriented man. He's hot. He's a good dancer. He buys the cool clothes. Like, I just love Jack. And now I'm like, he was lying to her for half the movie. (laughs) And he fucked off on her. And he just shows up in a boat and expects her to be ready to go. So I don't know. Like, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Um, like in real life, probably not, but in just like suspension of belief and all that, yeah. like I can forgive it, I can go with it. But yeah, what like in real life, I probably would not have trust this person. Um, like you know, long term, yeah. you know, maybe to help yeah. get me to like a town. But then after that, it would have been like a oh, bye. And no, I would not have had dinner. And no, I would. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I would have, I would have, I would. <laughs> I, yeah, I, especially when I was younger, but probably still. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I go for the scoundrel archetype sometimes. Like, um, so he was Jack Colton was like one of my first movie crushes. Like, maybe not uh-huh. the first because I think Han Solo is around the same time, but sure, it's sure, also sure. scoundrel, right? Yeah. And then Indiana yeah. Jones, I had a crush on him, scoundrel. So yeah. when I was young, I, maybe there were just a lot of them in the eighties, these scoundrel men, but I was into the scoundrel archetype. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think like, gosh, there's definitely a, a part of me that would be like, just go for it, go for it. And then, but I, my, my sensible part would, uh, you know, would win every time. And then I would be like safe back in America and then my own life. I've been like, damn it. So if you just should have gone or or Zolo would have captured you. We don't know. Like that, right. Yeah. No, so. I would have made it back. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, did you have any early movie crushes? I know that's not like we're kind of going off a little bit, but like Yeah, I don't rem- I don't I remember oh, I remember TV crushes, you know, um Kirk Cameron from Growing Pains, um Michael J. Fox, 
Uh, and family oh, ties or back to family, the future. Um, family ties. I think I had okay. some of those posters up on my wall, and definitely Johnny Depp from Twenty One Jump Street days. <laughs> yeah, we had we had different tastes. Yeah, yeah. I like yeah. those guys, but we had different tastes. But that's cool. But I, I, I can't scared. remember all together. I think I def. I think I dreamt about Johnny Depp a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so what would happen to Joan and Jack? We're going to ignore the fact that a sequel exists right now. What do you think would happen to these two? He arrives in the boat. They get on the boat. What now? I don't know. I guess why not? Um, would she keep writing, though? Um, only because we. I feel like we know that that takes a lot of, like, I need to sit down. I need to kind of hold up. Or, you know, can she I think do she that loves writing. I think she would write, find a way to yeah. write. But yeah. 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 I think it's her vocation, so she'd find a way. But yeah, the boat would be very inconvenient, no doubt. Yeah, and like but what Serena he... podcasts on a boat? She does. She yeah. does. Oh man, we need to maybe like ask later on for her to put some input. <laughs> What's life like on a boat? Because what what does he do now that he's got this boat? I mean, does he yeah. do anything? And yes, oh, oh the jewel. You haven't seen the jewel of the Nile, so the jewel of the Nile answers some of these questions. <laughs> I will, okay. not spoil, I will not spoil the results. And honestly, I don't recommend that you watch The Jewel of the Nile, listeners, okay. because if, if you've avoided it, just keep avoiding it, okay? okay? So if you haven't seen The Jewel of the Nile, just watch the Billy Ocean video, When the Going Gets Tough, the Tough Gets Going. You oh, will okay. get nice scenes from the movie without okay. having the movie be disappointing to you. And you get a good song out of it. And you get Kathleen Turner, Michael Douglas, and Danny DeVito singing backup vocals for Billy Ocean. It's awesome. So it's that all okay. that all that you really need is there because the Jewel of the Nile was, to my opinion, one of the worst sequels of all time. Okay. okay, like everything that's bad about *Romancing the Stone*, like in terms of stereotypes, is like heightened in this movie. Like there's so many there's so many different cultures that are stereotyped by this movie. It takes place in the Middle East and Africa, and it's just like uh, okay. And um, yeah, as I mentioned, the song is good. It's got a good song. And like it's got like Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, and Danny DeVito are all there, and you know um, that's great. They still have great acting chemistry, but the script, as we mentioned much earlier in the podcast, was written by men, and you can fucking tell. Okay, <laughs> no, no offense to men, okay, because some men write women very well, but some mm-hmm. men write women as like dumb or mm-hmm. shrinking violets or damsels in distress, and she gets so dumb. Like she learned so much in *Romancing the Stone*, and it's like mm. she's lost all her brain cells in this movie. Okay, she keeps doing dumb shit. Oh man, and, that's and disappointing. Like, yeah, there's not a lot of attention given to like her as a character. It's much more get to this plot point, get to that plot point, mm. and it also does deal though with like the the themes of like what would life be like between them when she's trying to be a writer. And mm. what would he be doing? So it does answer some of those questions. I just don't know if I love the answers. Okay. <laughs> and audiences, audiences seem to have agreed mm-hmm. <laughs> because it was not successful. <laughs> and I bet Diane Thomas could have written a hell of a sequel, you know, if, she, yeah. if she'd had a hand at it. But I guess she was on to bigger and better things until she passed away. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Anything else at all you want to talk about the movie before we go on to double feature ideas? Just that it was a delight and should be watched. Cool. Okay, so we're going to do double feature ideas, and we'll talk about, we'll mention Serena's at the end, too, just so you get to know what she wanted to do. 
So I'm choosing all 80s movies for my double feature ideas because it's such an <laughs> 80s movie, Romance in the Stone. I just feel like you should watch it with something else from the 80s. So my first pick is Peggy Sue Got Married from 1986, where you get another Kathleen Turner rom-com and also with Nicolas Cage. And I think they were great together in that movie. And check it out. It's a it's a movie about a woman kind of like wondering if she should have lived her life differently, you know, mm-hmm. and it involves mm-hmm. some time travel. Uh, and I'd also like to note that was directed by Francis Ford Coppola and Sophia Coppola plays Peggy's little sister mm. um, in that she's she's young, very young. So um, let's see. OK, I went with more of like writers films about writers because I really that first scene just that's what stuck with me over the the years. So I one of my first recommendations is Bright Star. Uh, directed by Jane Campion, and mm-hmm. it's about John Keats and his um, romance with Fanny Braun. And um, I think it's so beautiful, visually beautiful in there in the poetry. And you get a snippet of what, you know, how writers, what they do to get the creative juices flowing and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. so there's that. So my second pick I've already mentioned while we were talking, Dirty Dancing from 1987. So if Romancing the Stone was part one of my sexual awakening through movies, (laughs) Dirty Dancing was part two, okay? uh, Mm Because, yeah, it is one of those movies I remember from being a kid where I'm like, this is what happens between adults. This is romance. This is love. And um, if you haven't seen Dirty Dancing, what are you doing? Okay. Like it sounds (gasps) like it might be a dumb movie from the title, but it is not a dumb movie. It is also written by a woman, great writer. And it's the dialogue is amazing. The plotting is amazing. It's another one of those perfect eighties movies. In fact, in my opinion, and this is maybe going to be controversial to some people. I think Dirty Dancing is one of the most perfect movies ever made. I cannot find a flaw in it. I cannot find a scene out of place. So, you know, there you go. Check it out, especially if you're a guy and you're like, oh, I don't like those kind of movies. Freaking watch it. It's awesome. Dirty Dancing, 1987. I, I will just second your recommendation there. It's so great. And uh, that one I've seen a million times. So, okay. Again, another writerly kind of film um, adaptation gives you a little bit of that uh about a writer's creative process and their what's going on in their head versus what's real. And and it's kind of, it's a quirky, strange, in a great way film. So nice. there was, yep, there's that one. And I just realized my third recommendation. So like, I just realized my third recommendation is from 1985. Romancing mm-hmm. the Stones from 1984. So you could do a film and then the other two are from 86 and 87. So I think you should just do a film festival and do all my recommendations. Start with Romancing the Stone, then go Mm -hmm. to Goonies, the Goonies from 1985. And this is in some ways, like oddly, like almost like a kid's version of Romancing the Stone because there's treasure Mm -hmm. maps, treasure hunts. There are comedic villains and and there's teen romance. So there's there's also romance in this movie. I mean, it's obviously very different in a lot of ways. It's like kids who are kind of from the wrong side of the tracks trying to save their neighborhood from being like developed by these like evil rich developers but to by finding this treasure but this like if you grew up in the 80s as a kid you watched this movie and you loved this movie Mm -hmm. so i really recommend it so yeah here's my new my new lineup first you watch romance in the stone then you watch the goonies then you watch peggy sue got married then you watch dirty dancing you've got a beautiful 1980s festival right there perfect jen (laughs) you're it's perfect um 
And then my last recommendation is the Kaminsky method. Um, mm. I started watching it and just to see Michael Douglas, um, you know, still rocking it. Yeah, um, I did too. I did too. So we've been watching it together without knowing it. It's great. Highly enjoyable. And I love all the theatery stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So yeah, he plays like an actor who has like an acting class. Acting. St- yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then Alan Arkin is hilarious. Oh my god, so great! I love him so much. <laughs> He's just awesome. Yeah, and as we previously mentioned, they bring up Danny DeVito comes shows up. Have you seen the parts where Danny DeVito and Kathleen Turner show up yet? No, I haven't. Oh, I no, can't I wait. spoiled it for you. I'm so sorry. No, I knew that. I knew that they showed up, okay, but I okay. didn't know like as. And that's fine. I don't. You know, okay. Okay. For cool, characterization cool. and whatever, it doesn't ruin it for me. And then we want to give a shout out to Serena, our our host who couldn't be here because we had to reschedule, but she her double feature recommendations were Raiders of the Lost Ark, which has, of course, wrongly been called an inspiration for Romance in the Stone. But I think it would make a damn good double feature with it. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. She recommends watching The Jewel of the Nile, which I, ca- I caution you against, but at your own risk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she yeah. also recommends... Fatal Attraction, which, of course, is a famous Michael Douglas movie of the era with Glenn Close, which is a great movie, but very. um, Have you seen it? No. Very dark. Very dark. It's like Michael Douglas is having an affair with Glenn Close, and then she kind of goes like nuts when he tries to end it. Yeah. Man. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I I, like I know I know that. And she she. Yeah, don't don't. Yeah, don't. Bad things. Yeah. 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 Anyway, yeah, those are our double features. So, friends, we hope you've enjoyed the show today. And remember, feel free to send us feedback at feedback at everyromcom.com. And if you like the show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on pod- Apple Podcasts. And please join us over the next few weeks as we finish the travel series with Richard Linklater's Before series, first with a trip to Vienna for Before Sunrise. So, see you next time. Have a great week. Thank you.